0: So it's 1 Peter, chapter 4, verses 1 to 11. Therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves also with the same attitude, because whoever suffers in the body is done with sin. As a result, they do not live the rest of their earthly lives for evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. For you have spent enough time in the past doing what pagans choose to do, living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing and detestable idolatry. They are surprised that you do not join them in their reckless wild living and they heap abuse on you. But they will have to give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is the reason the gospel was preached even to those who are now dead so that they might be judged according to human standards in regard to the body, but live according to God in regard to the spirit. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be alert and of sober mind, so that you may pray. Above all, love each other deeply, because love covers over a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received
1: All right, how's that? Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, we've got a great chapter to look at today. And just to help us prepare, I thought I'd ask you a probing question. When was your last milestone birthday? Now, you might be young and you might be thinking, hey, I've just turned 10. I've gone double digits. Or maybe you've 13 and entered the teenage years. Maybe you've just had your 18th or your 21st and you're walking with the grown-ups now. Maybe it's your 40th, your 50th, your 70th. These milestone birth- birthdays are celebrations as we transition from one stage of life to another. And there are also chances for us to pause and reevaluate. How has your life gone so far? And where are you heading in the next chapter? When did you last seriously reevaluate your life? Now, for me, my last milestone birthday was when I turned 33. Now, you might think that's strange, it's not divisible by five, but let me explain. I'd been a believer for about 18 years at the time, I was a husband, a father healthy, energetic, but as I turned 33, I realised I was now the same age as Jesus and he never reached his 34th birthday. Jesus lived for just 33 years, but in that short life, he's impacted our world more than any other person in all of human history. So, you can understand why, as I transitioned to I'm now older than Jesus, I was filled with an intense sense of underachievement. <laughs> now, we don't need to wait for milestone birthdays to pause and reevaluate our life. In fact, no matter how old we are, every time we open our Bible and are humble before the Lord, we have that opportunity. So in our text today, Peter invites us to do just that. Now, we're going to follow a fairly simple structure. Thanks, Tom. We're going to follow a fairly simple structure and observe an exemplary life, an empty life, and an enduring life. Peter's words here will help us to consider... The person that we're living for, the priorities that we're living by, and three practical ways to respond. Now we're going to be praying as we go, because there's enough meat in this that we need to pause and ask for the Lord's help. So let's pray. Father, thank you for this wonderful chapter and an opportunity to think about what you say here. Please help us, challenge us, convict us, encourage us. That we might leave here today having reevaluated and reorientated, that our lives might align with your will. We pray for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Our chapter begins, therefore, since Christ. Wow, we could simply stop here and preach the whole sermon on those three words. Peter invites us to consider the Lord Jesus, who he is, what he's done, and then live in response to what we see. What a wonderfully simple and profound approach to life. His life is truly exemplary. But here, Peter wants us to draw our attention to a particular aspect of the life of Jesus. Since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourself With the same attitude. Now, what does this mean? When we think of suffering, Jesus' suffering in the body, our minds go to the cross, the physical and spiritual suffering as he died for the sins of the world. But it's worth remembering that his suffering didn't begin at Calvary, but 33 years earlier, at the incarnation when he first took on human flesh and became one of us. He entered the darkness of this sin-controlled world and lived as the true light of God. He resolved that in every circumstance he would obey the will of God rather than sin. But that put him at odds with the way of the world. John says it like this, light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into it for fear that their deeds will be exposed. This conflict brought suffering for Jesus. His three years of ministry was full of discouragement, opposition, death threats, betrayal. And we know how his life ended, beaten, mocked, alone, crucified. Such was the commitment of Jesus to doing God's will in an anti-God world. And as it was for Jesus, so it will be for any who choose to follow him. Paul summarised it for Timothy. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Peter agrees here. The letter of 1 Peter is written to scattered believers living as strangers in the world. And Peter knows these faithful believers are suffering as they trust and obey the Lord Jesus. But notice something in these first two verses. Suffering is not just the result of obedience to Jesus in an anti-Jesus world. Peter teaches us that suffering is used by God to reveal who it is that we're actually living for. To clarify where our loyalties lie and to strengthen our resolve to live wholeheartedly for the Lord. Suffering becomes one of the secret strengths for living a godly life. Look at verse 1 and 2 again. Arm yourself with the same attitude. For he who has suffered in his body is done with sin. As a result, he does not live the rest of his earthly life for evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. Now, some translations use the phrase ceased from sin, and this can be confusing. It seems to imply that we no longer sin, but we know that sin will remain present with us for as long as we live on this earth. So the phrase that we've heard this morning is more helpful. I'm done with sin. I've had enough of it. I want nothing more to do with an anti-God way of living. I only want one master. I just want to live for the Lord. Peter has already instructed us, in your heart, set apart Christ as Lord. Now trials and suffering give opportunity for us not only to show who we're ultimately living for, but also to reveal the extent of our love. Now, a good example of this is an Aussie rugby fan living in Auckland for the past 20 years. Australia has not won a game against the All Blacks at Eden Park for that long. Yet as I watched the game last night, I still saw Wallaby jerseys in the crowd. Each year, these fans put on Aussie colours and come to the stadium, scattered gold jerseys in an all-black crowd. And before kick-off, they count the cost. At full-time and on the way home, they pay the price for wearing that gold jersey. Their loyalty is clear for all to see. Peter says these trials come so that our faith which is of greater worth than gold, may be proved genuine. Now, Jesus resolved to do God's will in an anti-God world. He counted the cost for what this would involve, and so he was ready to pay the price when that was asked of him. Each time he suffered for doing the will of God, during all those small daily acts of obedience... Saying yes to God and no to sin, his resolve strengthened and his love grew. These trials prepared him for that great act of obedience, that lonely walk to Calvary. To die for sin, once for all, to break its power over us. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threat. He himself bore our sins on the tree so that we might die to sin and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. His death sets us free to now live for God. Now here's an example of how that plays out. Some of you may have heard of George Muller, a wonderful man of God who lived in the 1800s. Known for his preaching, his prayer, and his love and care for thousands of orphans at a time when this compassion was radically countercultural. He was asked one day about the secret of his service for God, and he responded like this There was a day when I died, utterly died, to George Muller. His opinions, preferences, tastes, And will, died to the world, its approval or censure. And since then, I've studied to show myself approved unto God. So, as you and I evaluate our lives this morning, as we observe the exemplary life of Jesus, consider these questions Who is the person that you are actually living for? Are you living for yourself? or the true and living God? And are there small steps of obedience for you to take today and this week that will demonstrate your loyalty to Jesus and make it visible? And would you pray for soul-strengthening opportunities to make your faith visible for all to see, I belong to Jesus and I'm living wholeheartedly for him. Let's pray as we go. Lord, thank you for showing us the way, the way to live for Jesus in an anti-Jesus world. We confess that so often we shrink back from wholehearted obedience because of fear, fear of consequences, fear of what people might think. Please strengthen us in those moments to declare our loyalty to Jesus, to trust and obey regardless of consequence, that we might be done with sin and instead live for the will of God. Amen. Okay, let's press on. Second point. When you clarify the person that you are living for, it will change the priorities that you are living by. The old ways will seem futile and a waste, empty. Verses 3 and 4. You've spent enough time in the past doing what pagans choose to do. They think it's strange that you do not join them in their reckless wild living and they heap abuse on you. As we spend time getting to know our Lord, we grow to love the things he loves and hate the things he hates. We start making changes in our lives to reflect these new priorities We're learning that all God's ways are good and sin does not result in life, just brings harm and hurt to ourselves and to those around us. But this won't make sense to those who do not know God. They will think it's strange or stupid or crazy. Take it easy. Just chill out. Live life to the max. It's your life. Just do as you please. Here's an example of how that played out when I was a kid. In grade eight, we had a teacher who was known as a Christian, a wonderfully humble, servant-hearted man, and an excellent teacher. But a rumour went round that he had no TV in his house. And this did not make sense to us kids at all. So we asked him, and he confirmed it, and we openly mocked him for it. For us, this was a symbol of someone completely out of touch with the world that we were living in. But for him, he was leading his family in a higher calling. He was teaching them different priorities to live by. And this impacted how they used their time and energy and resources. They were prepared to be countercultural, even if it meant that they would be misunderstood and mocked. By some grade eight boys. Now, the true believer is aware that one day they'll give an account to God for the choices that they've made in their lives. And the opinion of their Father in heaven matters so much more than the fickle opinions of those around them. For Peter's readers, these fickle opinions were expressed with more than just mocking words believers were being arrested and beaten and killed because of their faithfulness to Jesus. So Peter gives this encouragement in verse 6. Don't worry. Don't worry about those believers who've died. Yes, they've been mocked and shamed in this life, judged by the fickle opinions of those around them, but that's not the final or most important evaluation of their lives they've heard the gospel they've put their trust in the Lord Jesus and the value of their life and obedience and faithfulness will be seen by all on the final day their life has not been a waste now 21 years ago a famous sermon was preached by John Piper to 40,000 young people at a one-day Passion Conference. The sermon was called Don't Waste Your Life. It's become known as the Seashells Sermon. It's influenced a generation, it's even shown up in a Colin Buchanan song. It was an urgent plea for people to reevaluate the priorities of their life in light of who Jesus is and the end to come. Piper finishes with a story of a wealthy couple who decided to retire in their fifties, move to Florida, relax and collect seashells from the seashore. Yes, spend their remaining years on this earth collecting seashells. And Piper then pictures them standing before their creator on the final day saying, here it is, Lord, this is my shell collection." Piper says, don't waste your life like that. Re-evaluate. Live for things that will last into eternity. Now, Peter would agree with these words of John Piper from that sermon. You don't have to know a whole lot of things in your life to make a lasting difference in the world. You just have to know a few, majestic, obvious, unchanging, eternal things and be gripped by them and be willing to live for them and to die for them. C.T. Studd, the founder of WEC, put it like this. Only one life will soon be past; Only what's done for Christ will last. How are the priorities of your life? Are you investing your life in empty things? Or are you investing in those things whose value will last into eternity? Let's pray again. Lord Jesus, once again we come before you and we're aware our priorities are out of whack. Would you be kind to us now and show us where you would like us to change? We don't want to live empty lives, numbed and distracted by the empty and vain things of the world. We want to be gripped by those central, glorious, eternal truths of who you are and what you have done. We want to be good and faithful servants, loving what you love and turning away from all that you hate. We know this will be countercultural will be misunderstood and mocked and perhaps even worse. But that is okay, because you've gone before us, you've shown us the way, and you are the one that we want to live for. And we know that you are worth it all. Amen. All right, point number three, instead of living an empty life, would you like to live an enduring life? An enduring life will require endurance, but it's lived with the confidence that its value will endure into eternity. It's time to get practical. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be clear-minded and self control This world will not go on forever. The Lord has told us that. Our lives will certainly come to an end. The mortality rate for being human is 100%. And we don't know which of these ends will come first for us. But it would be crazy for us to live as though the end would not come. So Peter urges us, in light of the end being near, to wake up and sober up, and switch on, and be intentional. He picks up the pace in these last few verses, so we need to keep up. There's lots of doing words here. And to honour Peter, the man of action, we're going to get active towards the end. I'm going to suggest there's three points of application for us to consider today. Pray, love, and serve. Be alert and of sober mind so that you can pray. How are your prayers? Many of us would say that our relationship with God is the most important aspect of our lives. And yet we would also say that a regular and life-giving prayer life is one of our constant struggles. It certainly is for me. Prayer is a wonderful gift for the believer to be invited in to direct an intimate relationship with our Father, our Saviour, our Creator. The Lord delights to be with us and delights for us to draw near to him, to share our burdens and joys as we live our 24-7 life with him. When I read the biographies of believers of ages past, I'm always struck by their faithfulness and their joy in their prayers. And as I listen to the stories and testimonies of mature older believers living today, I notice their prayer life deepens and expands as they age and as they become more aware of the end being near. The wisdom of their years has shown them that time with the Lord is the essence of life. How are your prayers? Eternity will be all about him. So let's switch on and organise the rhythms of our lives to prioritise our time with the Lord. It's been said that Facebook is proof that our prayerlessness is not due to lack of time. We have the time. Let's organise it and invest it in developing our relationship with the Lord. Now you can start very simply by bookending your day. As you wake up, acknowledge him, thank him, praise him and dedicate your day to him. And as you go to bed, do so with gratitude for how he has walked with you and watched over you in everything that has happened. Take time this afternoon to think about your daily and weekly rhythms. Where and how can you prioritise time to withdraw and be with the Lord? Schedule it in your calendar and put it in your phone, some regular daily and weekly appointments with the Lord. When will you spend time with him? Another idea, read the Gospels and learn the way of Jesus. See how he could integrate prayer into all the different activities and relationships of his life. See also how often he would get away to simply be with the Father and restore. Another idea, pray with others. Jesus did not teach us to pray my Father who art in heaven. He taught us our Father. Where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am with them. Find another believer and plan to be together to pray. Put it in your calendar. Your spouse, your mum or dad, your son or daughter, your brother or sister, your friend, your workmates, and include prayer in the natural rhythm of your conversations. Start with small ideas and then let them grow. But make sure you get started with something. Today, this week, time with the Lord is never wasted time. It's what you and I were made for. And eternity will simply be enjoying him forever. Let's move on. Pray and love. Verse 8, above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. Now, how does love cover over sin? I want to suggest two ways. Firstly, love can cover sin by overlooking it. Now, we live in a culture of outrage we get triggered easily. Someone may say something or do something that we don't like and we go zero to a hundred in anger. And particularly if what the other person did was actually wrong, our anger gets superpowered with a pharisaical self-righteousness. The way of Jesus is different to this. He calls us to love one another deeply to bear with one another and be gracious with one another to forgive one another in these instances love covers over sin by overlooking it absorbing the hurt letting it go not allowing it to escalate into outrage or bitterness or resentment we could think of love as the extinguisher that smothers the bushfire of sin. Instead of fanning it into flame, love puts the fire out. Peter's already given many examples of this in his letter. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult, but with blessing. When they hurled their insults at Jesus, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. For it's God's will that by doing good, we should silence the ignorant talk of foolish men. But there are other times when love covers over sin by not overlooking it. And we see this in James chapter 5, verse 20. Whoever turns a sinner from the error of his way will save him from death and cover over a multitude of sins. In these situations, love compels us to speak up gently, humbly, graciously. Having taken the log out of our own eye, we come alongside a brother or sister to help sin be seen for what it is and so that it can be forsaken. When this is done well, with humility and love on both sides, a multitude of future sins can be prevented and the harm from current sin can be reduced. Lord Jesus, would you help us? Help us to love in these ways. How often we get outraged when we should instead offer humility and grace. And how often do we overlook sin that needs to be brought into the light? We need your wisdom to know how to love one another. Please help us. Amen. Our third and final application. Pray, love and serve. Verse 10. Each one should use whatever gift he's received to serve others faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. Now, in some ways, this is just simply a continuation of loving one another deeply. But here the focus is on how God does his wonderful life-giving work of grace in and through his people. Each one of us has been given gifts, charismata, that are to be used and not wasted. We are to be faithful stewards of our generous master, using these gifts to serve others and not for our own purposes or glory. In this passage, Peter does not zero in and focus on all the different types of gifts, but rather he gives us two broad categories or functions to consider our speaking, and our doing. So, time to get active. Kids and grown-ups, I want you to stand up if you have a tongue in your head. Some people are very slow to be standing up. Now, you can sit down if you have used that tongue today to speak words. I want you to think back to each of those words that you've said today as we listen to what Peter says here. If anyone speaks, he should do it as one speaking the very words of God. Now, what does Peter have in mind here? Formal speaking gifts like preaching or teaching or upfront stuff? Are you sitting there thinking, well, Graham and Chris there in the hot box? Sarah, she's probably let off the hook. She just got up and read the Bible, but it was upfront speaking. Are we talking about formal speech? Perhaps it's informal speaking, like conversation, some words of advice, some encouragement, a phone call, some humour, some singing. Perhaps it's other types of communication, like letters, emails, a post on Facebook, a Snapchat. What's Peter speaking about here? My thoughts are he's speaking about it all. Everything, And when we speak, we can choose to quote God's words directly, or we may have spent such time with the Lord that his truths and his values have so shaped our hearts and minds that out of the overflow of the heart, our mouth speaks. Do you know people like that? that have spent such time with the Lord that all of their words ooze the truth and wisdom and joy and love and beauty of the word of God. Ephesians 4 says this, Do not let any unwholesome words come out of your mouth, but only what's helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. What a responsibility to have a tongue inside our heads and to use it to speak the words of God. Are you daunted? I am. But let's receive the rich encouragement the Lord gifts his people to speak words like this that bring life and blessing to those who hear. We've looked at our speaking Time to look at our doing and get active again. This time, I want you to stand up if you have a body. And this time, you can sit down if you think your body is tired or weak. <laughs> now, I'm expecting a few young, bold scallywags who want to prove their strength. Now, Peter... He would recognize your bold brashness and that's okay. You can keep standing if you like until you realize that one day you will not be able to stand anymore. Our bodies are weak. Let's hear the words of this next verse. If anyone serves, he should do it with the strength God provides. All of our doing. That covers everything that this body of mine does. Now just think through all of the doings of your body since you woke up this morning. This is all-encompassing. Again, what a daunting responsibility. But do you see the wonderful encouragement of God? Do not do your doing, your serving, in your own strength. Do it in the strength of God. That God provides what a wonderful God that we serve what other God would give us such a privileged place in his plans and purposes for his world and what other God would equip us for the task by giving us everything we need to do what he calls us to do so let's bring all of this to a close we don't need a milestone birthday in order to reevaluate and reorient our lives. This short chapter has helped us to do that this morning, to clarify who we are actually living for. And are our priorities empty or are they eternal? I trust that the Holy Spirit has given you a list of action steps. He certainly challenged me this week as I've prepared. Let's not live empty lives any longer. Let's make our lives count for eternity. Let's live wholeheartedly and visibly for Jesus. In our marriages, our families, our school, our workplaces, our networks, he's shown us the way of obedience. Let's arm ourselves with the same attitude. Let's learn to pray and to love and to serve as a global network of believers from every background that are now scattered throughout the world. And let's serve not in our own strength or for our own kudos, but by his grace and for his glory. Let's finish with these passionate words of Peter at the end of verse 11. So that in all things, God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Let's pray.